0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. And this week we have another special guest, the one and only Stephen Elmer from the Truck King YouTube channel. Can you say hi to the people too, Steve? Hey, folks. How's everybody doing? We're doing okay. I hope everyone who's listening is doing okay. Um, I will reiterate, these are all good friends and fellow automotive journalists that you can find their work all over the internet. Uh, ben, why don't you remind the people where you can find your most recent work?
1: Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, and at Driving Line.
0: And you can find my work at Driving.ca, as well as Auto Trader, TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Steve, your work is mostly on YouTube, right?
2: These days we keep it simple. Yeah, the Truck King YouTube channel—that's where all everything I do goes. Right up there on YouTube.
0: I love the. I, I've said this before. I've said it publicly. I've said it often. I love your YouTube channel. You guys publish things way too often. I—it's like—it's like—it's uh, like following a serialized TV show. I love it.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I mean, YouTube is uh, is a beast. You got to feed the beast with content. So we try to. <laughs> many videos as we can i also
1: want to point out that uh where steve lives it's uh what's known as a bandwidth black hole so he makes an extreme effort to upload that content it's not like he just sits back in his house clicks a button and that content is up in 30 minutes or less it's a real effort to um get that digital stuff out of an analog part of ontario i love
0: that
2: Yeah, yeah, very true. There's lots of man trips. I also have two young kids, so we load up the kids and we go upload videos. For me it's a trip That's like how the Pioneers
1: (laughs) used to do it, right? Like when they were crossing the continent uploading
0: video with the (laughs) The very first YouTube pioneers. The whole
1: family fighting wolves. It was it was quite
0: a thing. Um but you know the new year's upon us and uh, there's a lot of great truck content that needs to be discussed but the first thing I want to start this week's episode with is the Jeep Grand Cherokee L that's, that that uh, Ben recently drove Grand yeah. Cherokee L right yeah, L stands L, for what the L well I mean creatively it stands for long uh it is That's the, not even that that's just one word what is that's it it just stands for one it word It actually long? doesn't stand for
1: anything it insinuates long it doesn't actually officially <laughs> Stand for long. And what's interesting, though, about this is it's a complete redesign for the Grand Cherokee. It came out in 2021. So this is the second model year, in a sense, if you were able to get one last year, which is not necessarily true. Uh, given how crazy the supply chain has been. But they led with the long wheelbase version. So it wasn't until several months later that a standard wheelbase version of the Grand Cherokee came out. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But primarily, it's because Jeep seems to be all in now on three-row SUVs. They have not one, not two, but three in the lineup, whereas as of 2020, they had zero. We've got the Grand Cherokee L, we've got the Wagoneer, and we have the Grand Wagoneer. So... Between those vehicles, you have a price point that's covered from like the high thirty thousands all the way to a hundred thousand dollars, which is kind of crazy.
0: That is insane. Um, I'm I'm curious about this whole thing because is there really like space in the market, or for like do the products feel distinctly different from one another to well, offer that kind of you know that 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 many grades?
1: Well, the, the thing about feeling different is. Uh, even though the Grand Wagoneer and the Grand Cherokee L have three rows, they're on completely different platforms. The Grand Mm -hmm. Wagoneer is a kind of a pickup-based platform, full frame, whereas the Grand Cherokee continues to be unibody. Uh, The difference between the L and the standard Grand Cherokee is about 15.1 inches of extra length, and about half of that is wheelbase. So you can think of the L as the Ford Explorer version of the Grand Cherokee. This is a vehicle that Really, is it's puzzling that it hasn't been in the Jeep lineup until now. The real reason is because, I want to say 10 years ago now, they brought out something called the Commander, which was also based on the Grand Cherokee platform, but they didn't really do anything to make it larger. They just kind of stuffed the third row in the back, and it was really not well-received. It It didn't look great. The performance, this was back when they had, I think they still had the 4.7 liter V8 in the mix. So that was the standard engine, I believe, or uh, the upgrade from the V6 before you got to the 5.7. And it was not fun to drive. And all of that kind of contributed to really slow sales and Jeep just abandoning the third row segment for quite a long time. Is that accurate, do you think, Steve?
2: Yeah, And third rows, especially, they were so uh, in such an afterthought, afterthought for so long. So it's absolutely accurate that they abandoned it because, you know, nobody was really pushing for it. And these days, it's the opposite. Third rows are pretty amazing, you know, especially in those big SUVs. The Grand Wagoneer has a great third row. And and same with the L. You can tell that they've they've moved away from that old philosophy of, oh, just stick some seats back there and call it a third row. They're really trying to accommodate for those people who are crawling in, especially guys like me. I'm a big dude. I appreciate having a big third row, not just one, you know, reserved for children, you know.
1: And it's, it's also worth pointing out that – I mean I'm going to go back to the Explorer again because it's kind of – for North American three rows, you've got – in this segment, you've got Explorer, you've got Durango, and now you have the Jeep but the explorer is a 6 seater which is kind of weird it, it the base model seats 7 and then every other model past that is 6 seater unless you get the optional third row like you have to add it in and i think it is a uh, a no cost option but the jeep is a, is a true 7 seater um the one that i drove in any case it was an overland trim which is kind of below the top tier and it had uh, a bench across the, the, the second row that was sixty forty, and then it slides forward and you access the pop-up rear seats, which, like Steve said, are pretty decent. I'm not a big guy. I'm about 5'7", but I have a, a the unfortunate curse of a long torso, which has well, – it, it's created a lot you've of – pr- You've explained your long torso almost – too much like, over-explaining the, reason I the keep, podcast. The reason I keep re-explaining it is I know it makes you so uncomfortable, Sammy. So like <laughs> I
0: don't need to hear how long your torso is every other episode. So, Come on now. It makes it tough for me to get <laughs> under
1: a roll bar, or in this case, usually the ceiling of an SUV at the back. But I found the third row to be decent. I think if you put kids or teenagers back there, you're not going to have any problems on longer trips. And I think adults on a short trip are also going to be okay since you can slide that second row forward.
0: And then furthermore, does the third row like eat into cargo space or anything like that? Is this still like a functional kind of livable vehicle when you have that third row up? It's it's super functional. It has, I think, I want to say 86
2: cubic
1: feet of total cargo space. Sorry, just under 85 cubic feet. Uh, wow. That's with everything folded. But with the third row okay. up, if you have a full, full load of passengers, it's like 17 cubic feet, which is... Did you hear me? I was like, wow, 86. That sounds great for a trunk. And I was like...
0: I didn't no, think about reality, everything being folded down. Yeah.
1: In so like it's it's 85, and then you cut it in half. I think it's like 47 behind the second row, and then behind the third row, it's 17. All those numbers are strong. I mean, that's okay. You, you, uh, Steve, uh, can you think of a bigger? I think the Explorer is almost exactly those numbers.
2: Yeah, the, these in this segment with Grand Cherokee, it's still a vehicle where you are choosing whether you want you know maximum cargo space or having people in the third row. Unlike, let's say, you go up to the full-size SUVs, you don't really have that issue anymore because of the space behind the third row so much. So yeah, there's right. no, DL. yeah, it's still more of a choice. However, 17 cubic feet is not terrible. Like I remember looking at behind that seat and thinking, yeah, I could live with this, with this third row up all the time and be okay with it.
1: Exactly. And I think for a lot of people too, you're not necessarily gonna have two people in the third row. You can fold the seats down individually and that's gonna free up, like if you have a longer item or something that's a little bulkier that it's, it's like you can Rubik's Cube what you need to get
2: in there. So if I could, help. Yep, sorry, go, big, go for it. My biggest takeaway driving that thing is, is strictly with the interior, and it's actually just the fact that they've really moved to this family interior, you know, gone from the Grand Wagoneer to the Wagoneer to the Grand Cherokee, and even the Compass now. Jeep is really bringing everything in line. They all look very similar, and I personally, I really liked it. I think they did a great job kind of splitting up real buttons with, touchscreen buttons. um, And it it looks premium. I think everyone's going for that premium thing these days. And I think they nailed it. I don't know what you guys thought. I I agree. I
1: think I like the detail. I like the way they they use the recessed wood on the dashboard, uh, the way it kind of seems to go underneath the infotainment screen. uh, And the buttons are a welcome addition. I I drove the L during a really, really cold week, like minus 30 degrees. So I didn't want to take my gloves off most of the time. And I was able to interact with pretty much all of the systems that I needed to while I was driving. And th- that might sound like, oh, obviously you should be able to do that, but I could activate like the heated seats, the steering wheel, all that stuff without taking my gloves off or going into an infotainment screen menu, and I really appreciate that.
0: The other thing that I was curious about with this uh, interior is, does it have as many screens as the Grand um, Wagoneer? Are okay. there like 17 screens here? So... For 2021 the answer was no, but this year, oh.
1: the 2022 model year, they've added three more screens. What? Yeah, so your match How do
0: one want add three screens
1: mid model like mid model year like let that. Let me tell like, just... you so the Grand Wagoneer as we all know has 300 screens and <laughs> those screens are located in unusual spots. Uh the passenger gets their own screen directly in front of them. That is now going to be optional on the 2022 Grand Cherokee L. In addition, you have screens on – new screens for the rear passengers. So in theory, you could fill this truck with people and no one would ever have to have a conversation because they would all have their own screens or at least be within eyeshot eye shot of a screen that was doing something.
2: <laughs> that's I wild. Actually, that screen in front of the passenger, I personally believe that's going to become normalized. I, I think Jeep's ahead of the curve on that one. I think everyone's going to start doing it. It's, it's sort of just like sitting around going, what else can we do at this point? Well, why does? <laughs> I do appreciate the, the nod to safety that the driver cannot see what's on the passenger's screen. Yeah, If you look at the angle, you can't see what's on the screen. So at least if that person's watching a movie or something, the driver's not watching it too.
1: I feel like the next frontier for screens is like a gas cap screen on the inside so that when you're <laughs> filling up, I could get stream content or maybe some targeted advertising could just go right to yeah. that gas cap. Um, but it, just continuing to talk about the interior, I did find it to be more upscale than I was expecting, especially since I wasn't in a top tier trim. I have a, a top tier s- standard wheelbase Grand Cherokee coming in a couple months. I'm interested in the comparison. There was one part, though, I found that there was a decent amount of surprisingly hard plastic in my tester. Uh, I found it on the center console, the whole the ridges on the side um yeah that, that go down like where your knees would be but the reason i noticed it is because it's the border where you're resting your hand if you're interacting with the shifter or the uh, ride height and all that stuff and it's it's basically
0: it's, the like brace right like that brace for your wrist or your yeah arm.
1: so that was surprisingly non-premium that was the only part of the cabin where i was like hmm this this kind of feels like uh, it's not it's it's out of place
0: Well, that's why you got to spring for the fully loaded Overland Plus or whatever the heck the last trim level, the top trim level model. Another
1: another thing I (laughs) wanted to talk about was in terms of premium gear. My Jeep came with a Macintosh in stereo system. Uh, I wasn't super impressed with it, but the thing that that stuck out as weird to me was the equalizer was like a standard three band EQ.
0: And you expect for a premium a premium uh, sound system to have a few more options? Why not have
1: a multiband? It's just like – it doesn't cost you anything. It's software. It's processing. It's just weird that it wasn't there. Like they've made a big deal about this this branding and they kind of – it's kind of like here it is and, and you're like, well, this isn't – this really isn't
2: what I expected, you know? Anyway, maybe that's just yeah. me. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't want to dig into that, but then you can just have, you know, standard settings, rock, jazz, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like, like BMW
1: does. They offer like a multi-band and then a standard three-band, you know, and they're not off. And that's even without their whatever Bowers and Wilkins or b and I don't know who uh, who's doing the um, audio for them these days. But, yeah, so that was a little bit surprising. But I mean, I had a bunch of people on on social media ask me if we were going to be talking about this vehicle soon. So there's a there's a bunch of interest in it. And like Steve, I think it's great. It it's a great family vehicle. Uh in terms of driving it, you do notice that it's bigger. You do notice the extra length and the extra weight. But I say all of that in the sense that you notice it because the standard Grand Cherokee has always been fairly agile. So this mm-hmm. in contrast to that kind of stands out. Um, you're not going to be really putting this through a slalom or anything, but for standard daily driving on the highway, everything feels pretty buttoned down. It's also surprisingly quiet inside. I didn't get any booming from the rear, which is nice. Sometimes on an extended wheelbase vehicle, they don't really put any thought into the acoustics of the extra air gap at the back of the vehicle. So that wasn't an issue. The one problem I had was my vehicle had the 5.7 liter V8, which is a great engine. Except, I don't know, it's it's 357 horsepower in the Overland, 390 pound-feet of torque, and it's got the 8-speed automatic that's in, like, every Jeep product. But, for some reason, when I was on the highway at 1500 RPM, so just barely cruising, I got a vibration through the steering wheel and the gas pedal every single time. Almost like a thrumming. And then, when I would be at a stoplight, I would get the same thing. Steve, did you have any, when you drove it, did you notice anything like that?
2: No, I can't say I honestly did. Um, I, I did notice that it did seem a little bit quieter uh, overall, I, I thought, inside the cabin. Um, yeah, I, I didn't feel that from the powertrains. I guess these days, though, with those powertrains, because the Hemi's been around forever and so is the Pentastar, yeah, un, unrefined maybe is the word I would use. Like it just and, and maybe I'm only saying that because they haven't updated it, but it just feels like they haven't touched it in so long and everything mm. else to be moving past them powertrain-wise that, yeah, it it maybe felt a little coarse in that package where everything else is updated and beautiful around you and then you kind of still have this... And don't get me wrong, it's a big, grumbly, powerful V8, and I like that, but but I don't know if it exactly fit the character. Yeah. So I don't I, know if the, I, I But that's what I came away with. I'm wondering... And then,
0: you, sorry, Sam, uh, go on. Adding sure. to that, a V8 in a segment, like, there are... If the other products in this class are, say, the Explorer, the Explorer doesn't have a V8. The Durango, Durango does, though. The Durango does. It has the same V8. <laughs> it has the same engine. Um, and then, I don't know if you want to talk about, like, Highlander or something like that. Um, Not or, Highlander, or but I would say maybe... Tel- Telluride?
1: Yeah, Telluride
0: or, or
1: um, what's the, the Hyundai one that I always forget? Palisade. You Palisade. always forget I about always the wore Palisade. Palisade. I can't remember the name. Um I those are similar in terms of interior size. Uh towing I think is a little bit bigger for the Grand Cherokee L. It's seventy-two hundred pounds or seventy-six hundred pounds right around there. Uh yeah. but you know, I, I'm wondering if it was the cold that was causing the problem that when well, I was maybe. driving. It's 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 hard to know. Uh that was my only real complaint about driving it. Um price-wise, it's pretty solid, man. I mean, this is a thirty-nine thousand dollar vehicle at the the base level the Laredo. Uh the Summit Reserve is like 64,000, the vehicle I drove was right around 55. So that's a huge range. You can probably find a version of the vehicle that you want. Mine, the this, this, the um Overland also comes with the air suspension standard on this vehicle. So I could raise it up to like just over 10 inches of ground clearance. I think at regular height, it's eight and a half inches. And then if you want, you can drop it another 1.5 inches to get in and out. It does make a difference because Uh, some of the passengers are a little smaller in stature and they had trouble getting out of the Jeep or getting into the Jeep when it was like raised up all the way. So if you are going to use the air suspension, it's nice to have that kind of park and tuck feature, but that's because the, um, Overland is kind of, it has a low range for the four wheel drive as well. It's kind of aimed at someone who wants to off-road in it. I don't think anyone's going to off-road in the extended wheelbase version. Steve, do you think this is a, a target audience or you think it's more of a,
2: a towing and commuter audience? Yeah, well, I was exactly going to make that point, towing, right? One of the big benefits to towing is having a longer wheelbase. So right there, they made the vehicle. Um, I think the Jeep's already saying it all by not offering the Trailhawk right now with the L, because they know that the most hardcore off-roaders don't want that long wheelbase, right? Um, so yeah, no, I don't think that's the target. But it's a Jeep. and And I said the same thing in the Grand Wagoneer. That's a $100,000 luxury SUV. It still has low range and it still has off-road driving modes because it's a Jeep. And I think they just know their heritage and they feel compelled to make sure <laughs> know that all their vehicles are ready to go off-road, regardless of whether or not they actually will. Another interesting thing, too,
1: about the L that surprised me is it's only 1500 to $2,000 more than a standard wheel-based Grand Cherokee depending on the uh, model that you're looking at. And that's pretty standard throughout the whole trim walk. So you can get an extended wheelbase and not really ding your budget too much if that's what you want. And I think that's a really interesting choice from Jeep.
2: Yeah, that's important. I mean, from my perspective with kids, that's why you're going to get it. And, you know, if you got the family, you're not going to think twice about spending that much money to get the third row. It's, it's not much at all.
1: Yeah. And and uh, the price gap on the other end of the equation. So the Wagoneer Series 2, which is the cheapest one you can get.
0: Um, it starts at about... Excuse me. One second. Series 2 is the cheapest? What happened to Series 1? That... Uh, series
1: 1, honestly... No idea, but the Just series the
0: cut. <laughs>
1: series three I think is Grand Wagoneer style. So there's like Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. But the series two base Wagoneer is sixty nine thousand. So it's like five grand more than the most expensive L. Um, the L is it's hard to say whether all the luxury features in the L package are better than only a few luxury features in the Wagoneer package. I think that's really going to be personal taste. But I can tell you, it drives a lot smaller. It's going to be more fuel efficient. And it's going to be easier to, to uh, deal with in an urban environment. So I don't know how much cross-shopping realistically there will be between these vehicles. I do think it's a different audience. But a $5,000 gap is not enormous.
0: Talk to me about this, about, like, summarize for me here. This new model uh, of Grand Cherokee has a new platform, but the same powertrain. It's got a spruced-up interior, and it drives kind of similar to the last ones, right? Right. Yes, but
1: it is a completely different platform in the sense that FCA – or sorry, Stellantis. I can't keep up with the name changes. They claim this – Oh, this just in. They've changed their name again. Oh, man. Okay, so the the artist formerly known as Stellantis is claiming that there's no DNA from Mercedes or uh, Alfa Romeo or Fiat in this platform. They think this is the first uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee platform they've had that doesn't borrow from the ML. And hasn't been future looking towards the SUVs that Alfa Romeo is producing.
0: What a what a footnote to provide is that was that a significant problem in the past? I, don't I know the ML is ancient, right? Like it's th- that it's based on is kind of old, but to also throw in like uh, and no Fiat or or. Uh, Alfa Romeo. We 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 stayed away from that. I mean, there's
1: probably some components somewhere that are shared across just because it's the same company, but I think they were talking specifically in terms of architecture and I think the reason they're emphasizing it is because, like Steve was saying, it's it's important for Jeep to have that off-road image. Alfa Romeo ha- does not have that, and Mercedes doesn't really have that either. So for them to be able to carve out a niche where they say, you know what, this is still a Jeep, even though it's you know designed for commuting, it's designed for towing, we can still do rugged stuff because we put our special sauce in it. I think that's where that attitude's coming from.
0: Dang, I thought Mercedes had the ultimate off-road image in the G-Class.
1: Well, I mean, maybe for a tiny sliver of the population, but uh, yes. for the rest of us, we're in Jeep country, Sammy.
0: Then I want to pivot our conversation to um, the Consumer Electronics Show. and oh, why? Steve, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on. And Steve, um, who, who, who found some news pretty interesting and wanted to discuss it on the podcast, specifically about the new 2024 Chevrolet Silverado EV. Steve. Tell me what you uh, tell me what, what got you so excited here um, with this new electric truck.
2: Well, and just to be clear, I was not at CES. I've never had the pleasure of being at the show. It You're sounds... It's, it's not.
0: There is no
1: pleasure. You're so Sorry. lucky. Yeah. I had a mini stroke when Sammy brought up CES because I knew we were going to be talking about the, the Silverado EV, but then when he brought up CES, I thought there was some kind of like he was playing a trick on me and we were going to talk uh. about, I don't know, drones or something and I couldn't handle it.
2: And oh, yeah. Cases.
0: But- so many case, phone cases.
2: Yeah. That's the new unofficial first car show of the year now, right? It's CES. We seem to be getting a huge launch uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, I think the Silverado EV was probably one of, if not the largest automotive launch we saw at CES. And, I mean, what can we say off right off the bat? You know, welcome back to the uh, Chevrolet Avalanche. For <laughs> <Yes>.
0: sure. Mid-gate <laughs> forever. Ident- yeah. yeah. That's the styling inspiration.
2: Yeah, the styling, but then the mid-gate. And the mid-gate is super cool. So, basically, they've added in this wall behind the rear seats. So you can open it up in three different ways and you know, just have different cargo configurations, uh, the longest of which is almost 11 feet. You can get something in there. So they have a photo of a little kayak in there. Uh, but that's and that's super cool. Obviously, it's not... I don't want to say it's innovative because they've had it before. So just, <laughs> yeah. In an almost identically styled product. <laughs> Re-innovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, I don't know. I love the mid-gate. I'll get that out of the way. I think that's brilliant. The styling... I don't I don't know if it's a great idea for them to go with that sort of buttress design rather than just make it look more traditional. It's um, like a big so,
1: Santa Cruz almost.
2: Yeah, you know, where <laughs> F-150 kind of went, here's the F-150, but it's all electric. It mostly looks the same. Chevy went, you know what, we're going to make this thing look really different. I personally kind of prefer the the Ford approach but what do you guys think
0: well i'm all about the high-tech look i think it looks kind of like mod like you said a modern avalanche i think it looks kind of high-tech i think Uh, they're trying to tie
2: it into
1: the hummer ev and maybe get a little bit of the prestige quote-unquote that's kind of shining off of that just in terms of styling
2: yeah totally fair and the hummer ev did come out first and and it very much looks the same with that same kind of bed uh Joining there at the bed in the cab, the little buttresses. So I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe they needed them. I didn't think about that either. But who knows? Maybe it was structural. Maybe they got to have them there.
1: <laughs> well, you're saying structural. I mean, it's
2: important to point out that the Silverado EV is not a traditional pickup truck. That's absolutely true. So it is a unibody. Um, and that's because it rides on GM Altium platform. And it's actually even more interesting because it's not uh, the body is not an integral part of this unibody. So it's actually not even a traditional unibody. Oh, wow. Because yeah, with the Altium platform, essentially the battery pack and, you know, the skateboard, if they still call it that, that is the, the frame. That is essentially the, the, the structural component of this vehicle. Um, we just had a conversation today with the Chief Engineer, and she was explaining that to us sort of saying it 's not body on frame, and it is unibody, but it 's not even necessarily what we think of as a traditional unibody um, so that's it 's really interesting it 's kind of blurring lines in that way and And let me get some of the specs out of the way first because the blurred lines conversation we 'll get back to <laughs> um, the, the big uh, the big news four hundred miles of range yeah uh, that 's a big number. That's going to be on the top trim truck. Uh, There's going to be a lesser battery pack, but they haven't told us what the range is going to be. Um, But again, 400 miles to me feels like enough. You know, we've kind of been talking for a long time now of how much range do we need. Um, We need more and more. 400 to me really starts to feel like it's in the right range. And Uh, what what about
1: uh, charge rates? Because that's the next frontier. We had the episode we just had last week where we had Chad Kirshner on. He was talking about how, uh, what is it, Sammy? 800 watt?
0: Eight hundred volt. volts eight uh, hundred volts. so I think these three hundred and fifty kilowatt the the three hundred and fifty kilowatt charge rates that the uh, the Silverado will have adds about hundred miles of range in ten minutes which I think is pretty um that's pretty good
2: that's that's really good and you're right I mean range is important, but if I can fill it up really quickly well then range gets less important because I can stop along the way right mm-hmm. so the fact that it charges quick is is also really smart on gm's part um you know, I mean, you're not going to probably get a DC fast charger in your house. I don't know what's involved in that, but <laughs> if you have a fast charger on the highway, then you're you're good to go, right? Right. Um, so the next thing is power, and I don't know about you guys, but these days, like I, I read EV power numbers differently because the base truck here gets 510 horsepower, that's which wild. is, <laughs> and, and that's not a fake number. I'm not saying that; it's a very real number. But, you know, EV power, it just seems so much easier to achieve. So I'm I'm just not blown away anymore by these huge numbers. Especially uh, since I'm sure this truck weighs considerably more than a standard Silverado. Absolutely. And no one's mentioned that yet. They have not told us exactly how much it's going to weigh. I'm sure it's going to be heavier. So the, uh, I think the
1: Hummer EV is roughly 9,000 pounds. There's no official number on that. But that's what most of the insiders, people who claim they know – it's going to be in that range. I would think the Silverado is lighter, but I don't know how much lighter.
2: I, I, yeah, I hadn't seen that, but you're absolutely right. If you weigh 9,000 pounds, how much does 500 horsepower matter, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see um, when well, the Well, you might actually have a little bit of,
0: um, like, thought process into this, because some of the, so the heavy duties that you, you've
2: tested, how, how much do those
0: things weigh, and what kind of power do they put out?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of torque these days, they're all thousand pound feet plus, uh, and then horsepower are like four hundred to five hundred range, high three hundreds. But uh, so horsepower, you know, those big HDS are are getting blown out of the water, mm-hmm. and then weight wise, uh, they're up there in that same neck of the woods, uh, you know, north of seven thousand pounds, or right in there.
0: Yeah, so it might so, be comparable to like the way a, a Super Duty might uh, or or heavy. It- Duty truck might feel right maybe, but
2: very different torque curve. I would think. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Right. Um, but you are playing perfectly into my hands here, Sammy, because this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. The other big news here: uh-huh. Silverado EV is going to be able to tow twenty thousand pounds. Okay. Now <laughs> we need to
1: make it illegal for civilians to tow twenty thousand pounds on the highway. I'm going to put that out there right now, and then in civilians, I include myself. What is twenty thousand pounds?
0: What is
2: something that is twenty thousand pounds? Uh, like a backhoe, actually, I shouldn't say that. Our backhoe uh, weighs about thirteen and a half, so that's not even twenty. But of course, the float you need for a big piece of equipment's pretty heavy too. So heavy, heavy equipment's the first thing that comes to, to my mind. And okay. and how?
1: What kind of trailer hitch is the Silverado EV going to be doing that with? Like a class four, or like a a gooseneck? Like is this is
2: this the Ultium platform gooseneck friendly? We don't have that answer yet. Literally, all they said is, hey, in the future, this truck will tow 20,000 pounds. They didn't say how it's going to do it. The one thing we can see from the photos is it does have eight lug hubs. Wow. So it's going to have full axles underneath. Um, and and this opens up a whole new conversation into, this truck is going to blur the lines between a 1500 and an HD. And, and I'm not even sure we have to even call it by those names anymore, because this is just something different. And especially considering the fact they said that, the base model work truck will be the one towing 20,000 pounds. Well, that makes so sense.
1: I, I, I think like equipment-wise, battery size-wise, yeah. the, the gross vehicle weight rating is going to play in here because of the weight of the battery. So if they have the smaller battery on the work truck, it makes sense that it would have the highest tow rating.
0: No, none of this makes sense. You're telling me a, a truck with, less, with a smaller battery, less power, is going to tow, tow a 20,000-pound trailer and then get wear with it? How far will it be able to, to go on with this
2: 20,000? With this That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's the important issue. We lo, like electric motors are incredible for trucks because the torque, right? Power is yeah. no problem. You don't have to second guess that. It's that with 20,000 pounds, that 400 miles is probably going to become 90 miles really quickly. Right? Yeah. And then you're going to be taking up this whole – this. how much space will you take over in
1: the, in the charging station? Well, with... pull-through charging stations have to happen in order for any of this to be a
2: reality because the current setups aren't going to work. No. no, especially if people start hooking up camping trailers and yeah, pull through sites have to happen um, because, you know, EV trucks are coming and people are already towing with them. And I think that this. Yeah, it's just uh, I'm sorry, I'm struggling to find my words here, but we just have to think about these things entirely differently than the way we think about trucks now and offering people a solution that's super affordable that can tow this huge weight. For you and I probably isn't, uh, you know, relevant, but for a business owner who tows a small fleet of of backhoes or bobcats and and those guys might only go 50 miles a day. And if you know you're doing 50 miles, this is going to be an incredible opportunity for them, I think, to get an an affordable vehicle that can do a ridiculous amount of work.
1: And those fleet owners are also going to be happy with the reduced maintenance costs associated with an EV truck. That's true. Yeah. Um, um, there's, there's, you know, you mentioned eight lug hubs, that alone makes me think the, the curb weight of this vehicle is going to be above 7,000 pounds.
2: Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. It'll be classified as, as an HD. So are, are, are people going to need a CDL in order to tow with this vehicle? Um, uh, CDL, I'm not exactly sure. I know in Canada it is a 4,000 kilogram trailer, I believe. That you can tow with the G class license? No, it's above that. It's about ten thousand pounds, though, that you can tow with the G class, and then you need to upgrade. A lot of people in Canada, uh, I believe, are out there towing things, heavier than their license allows. It's called wild Uh-oh. towing.
1: It's a whole subculture.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Is
1: there a subreddit on that? I don't know, Sammy. That's more your
0: thing. Oh, okay. Um, talk to me a little bit more about the pricing strategy here, because I heard that there's. Basically, they announced two versions of this truck. That work truck that you talked about is going to be about forty grand, thirty nine nine hundred. And then there's a like a top trim. Um, I think it's the RST. It's called.
2: Uh, yes, the RST is their top trim right now. It's like the street truck,
0: and yes. it will cost one hundred and five thousand dollars
2: in the U.S. and then even more here in
0: Canada. That's a huge gap. That's insane. Again, we talked like that's a massive gap. 40 to
2: 105. Of course, it's crazy. And the one thing they did say is is as the truck rolls out over the next couple of years, we're going to eventually see more trim levels, and they're going to fill in the middle, basically. Uh, But the work truck is actually going to launch first. So it'll be the affordable truck first, and then the RST at 105. Um, But I guess it is interesting because there are two ways to look at these kind of products. There's the aspirational side of things where you're buying this super fancy high-tech EV truck that has – four-wheel steering and air suspension Mm -hmm. or there's just mentioned the the practical side where the guy actually can make a business case for why this truck is going to work for him so right off that those are the two people gm's going after the the guy who wants to cruise downtown and the guy who might actually be able to use this truck for his business which is worth sorry go on I, i just i think that's a smart strategy i think the meat of the market will be, you know, a much longer time to kind of start moving them away from their ICE trucks.
0: Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a different strategy completely than Ford with their like kind of one offering. No, right? that's
1: that's not true, Sammy. I was going to bring oh. it up the fact that there's a a pro version of the Lightning that yeah. is similarly priced to the version um, that Chevrolet is selling, and it's aimed specifically at. Uh, contractors and fleets and stuff, and it's also worth pointing out too that the pro version comes with so you, you you see a lot of uh heat that Ford has gotten um in terms of interest about the generator or the ability to power a house or whatever I think it's like nine point six kilowatts of power that can be produced right. by the, so if if you, that's only available on certain models. Um, most of the lightnings have a, have the power outlets in the front, but they don't have them in the bed, but the pro, which is the most affordable has the full 9.6 or 9.4, whatever it is with the full outlets, including I think 220 in the bed of the truck. So Ford's really targeting a workforce with that too. The one funny thing I find about, especially looking at the avalanche about targeting commercial customers is the short bed of the truck. And how that's going to be less useful for people who are actually hauling. And a lot of the imagery you see from Chevrolet has like these, um, I guess you could call them ladder stands in the bed that like stick up and then go over the roof. And I guess they're going to be relying on the mid
2: gate. Steve, do you think that's going to make a difference for someone who's looking to buy this for a job site? It, it's definitely a good point because right now there's no flexibility in cab or bed size. You know, Silverado and F-150, mm. they're both, you know, basically short bed crew cab, which is what we see everywhere. Uh, whereas, yeah, you'd think that a guy who would work with it, they probably still want four doors. I mean, really, the regular cab is basically dead. So I, I, I don't ever see that coming back, two doors. But I can definitely see a world where we get a quad cab version, where they shrink down the, the back seat to give us a bigger bed. Um, it's, it's a consideration. I, I, I'm definitely one who's a little sick of all the short bed trucks these days. I like having a longer bed. So, uh, yeah, I can see that it might change someone's mind.
0: And then one last thing to talk about with the Silverado is, is it a, like, where does it stand with a Hummer? Like, why would someone pick, if you're going to buy a $105,000 Silverado, why wouldn't you get a Hummer?
2: Yeah, I I think, honestly, the way I'm looking at it, it's mostly branding. Like, the the, Auto EV has the majority of the technology the Hummer has, um, therefore it should be almost equally as good off-road, but... You know, it's Hummer. Hummer's a really, you know, popular nameplate. Everyone knows that name. So I think you buy a Hummer because you want a Hummer.
1: And, and how thing. many people out there are really, like, still into the cult of Hummer? I'm really curious to see if there's any carryover or if GM's just hoping people will forget about the mid the middle stage of Hummer's lifespan and just go back to, like, the AM
2: general days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it seems to me that the original Hummer Custer is also the op- opposite customer that's going to buy this Hummer.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: you see right
0: it is it is gonna be i mean there's a lot of trucks coming there's a lot of ev trucks coming there's this there's the um f-150 mentioned there's that rivian which i think is here too have you have you gotten any uh has anyone told you about that thing
2: steve yeah i've i've only read you know from other journalists online read reviews it definitely sounds like a pretty interesting product Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing i love about it maybe the most is that gear tunnel but they yeah. have down center. Just because EVs, once again, offer us such a, a, a unique way to look at packaging, and we can now store things in ways we never stored them before. So I think Rivian just did a great job of taking a blank sheet and saying, how can we rethink this so we can really pack in utility? It's so funny because how-
1: Ford had a similar um storage compartment like that in its full size trucks back in the 70s. Really? Yeah, it was like a locking compartment just behind the uh the passenger door. Um, I don't know if it went all the way through, but it went a fair si- size in. I've never seen one in real life because I assume they all rusted instantaneously because I'm <laughs> sure they weren't waterproof. And it was just a great way to accumulate salt and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an idea that they quickly abandoned. I think it was available for a few years. And then by the time they did the 1980 redesign, it was gone.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, most old ideas do come back, right? Yeah, the, the, Avalanche.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and Hummer. Then-
2: Actually,. One more thing I want to pick your guys' brains on is the RST has 24-inch wheels. And Oof. and we put the video up on our YouTube channel, and I swear most of the comments were about 24-inch wheels, which, you know, on a truck are ridiculous. You want more sidewall and less wheel, in my opinion. But I don't know. What do you guys think about 24 I, I think it's
1: stylists are out of control, and no one's reining them in, and they're like, I'm going to sketch something that only looks good if it has the world's largest wheels on it. I think that's a problem uh, of design that we're encountering more and more and more. The the other thing I think of though, when you talk about the RST as a street truck, is I want to see someone do a quarter mile run with a camera focused on the front brakes, so that at the end of the quarter mile, when they have to stop, I, I get to see the carnage and the heat that's being generated. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah I agree it.
0: with I agree with with uh, Ben here. Those are that's way too much rim, way not enough rubber. It's out of control. I don't know how anyone will, will pull that off.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm looking at the truck right now with 18 inch wheels, the work truck, and it looks mighty good to me. So. Yeah, it looks yeah. fine. I
1: agree. And and you if you if you feel like there's too much wheel gap, then just put on some like 32s or something. Like this there's there's ways to deal with this. Yeah.
2: Right. So, um, yeah.
1: so Sammy, I feel like you have uh the um shall we say one yes. of these things is not like the other in terms of yes. vehicles this week.
0: I have the less, I've been trying to hold off talking about the car that I've been testing this this past week, um, mainly because it's just not as, it's just not as interesting as the other two vehicles that you've, you've brought up, but it is interesting to have, a very large segment to the, of the I'm uh, New Toyota Corolla Cross, which is, a subcompact crossover that fills in space between the Toyota CHR subcompact and the Toyota Rav 4.
1: Sammy, it's interesting that Toyota has decided to name a vehicle after the maneuver I perform whenever a Corolla cuts me off in traffic.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> it's true. Um, I do think it's important that they need to keep the nameplate of the Corolla alive because I don't know the small the subcompact um, crossover game. Toyota had had already kind of been in it with the CHR, but it didn't get a lot of momentum or, or credibility for that product. Well, it was Man, super because, weird, right? Yeah, it was weird looking. Um, it was front-wheel drive only here in North America. It wasn't very practical, it seemed. Um, and it was a little bit expensive, too, um, comparatively speaking. And so this Corolla kind of, honestly, it attacks all of those problems. First of all... Um, It offers more passenger space than the CHR. It is available with all-wheel drive. It has about 30 more horsepower. It's more fuel-efficient, and it's cheaper somehow, which is kind of interesting, um, despite offering more passenger space. So it is everything that the CHR isn't, which can't be good for the chr's future maybe this is a one oh, this, and done sort the of product CHR
1: has no future i mean as soon as that brand died as soon as i believe it was designed for scion sammy is that correct yeah
0: it was meant to be a scion
1: and then when that didn't happen when that was gone they scrambled they're like okay we'll dump it into the showrooms of toyota we'll try and re- recoup some of our losses i think probably this platform you said it's the same platform or i don't know if you mentioned it but it's an evolution yeah. of that for the cross so yeah this is just a way for them to wash their hands of it and kind of slowly back away and turn the lights off and never open that door again. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now i drove a I drove an all wheel drive, fully loaded model. It was fine. I'm not going to call it excellent or great or um, like mind bendingly good or anything like that. It was a perfectly serviceable crossover, and that's that's going to work for a lot of people out there. Especially, um, I was surprised to hear people kind of ragging on the powertrain of this thing, a two liter four cylinder engine that makes about uh, 169 horsepower, I believe Um, it's made it to a CVT. It sounds awful. Like it really does not sound like a good motor. It, it is grating. It just makes you feel like you shouldn't be driving. You ever have a car that you you start driving and it's like, please stop. Like that's (laughs) the sort of engine that the noise that you get out of this car, which is not good. But uh, when you, when you push past that, it, It gets – honestly, it just gets the job done. It feels kind of effortless in the way that a Corolla does. When you drive a Corolla, you know that you're getting basic transportation that will do anything that you want it to. And that's – I I get a lot of that feeling here with the Corolla. So,
1: so Sammy, I mean, you know, the way you describe this vehicle, it doesn't sound super appealing, and I get that. But why would someone buy this over the Corolla hatchback? Is it just because of all-wheel drive? Is that the only reason?
0: yeah essentially um it and it is it is actually you do jump up into this vehicle it's not i i was expecting you'd kind of like just slide in laterally into the into the driving seat no you kind of jump up into it, which is something that caught me off guard. it does have ground clearance it does have um that all wheel drive system and there was also something weird that caught me off guard. It, it had like a power lift gate, even though the lift gate is like really not that big or heavy or small. Well, not or, that big or, or like, heavy
1: to you, Sammy. I mean, come on. You're I guess you. So.
0: You're like what six five two ten. Look, well, it's mostly torso. Uh, let me get my let me get my torso. I don't want to hear about your
1: enormously muscled rippling torso. <laughs> I've
0: heard enough so, about it. I I have your calendar on my wall right now. Okay, great. Um, I that's essentially it. You you want to get all wheel drive. You want to get that. I don't know capability that the hatchback wouldn't provide and don't get me wrong the hatchback is very good too like it, it drives a little bit sharper it doesn't sound as uh terrible to drive it uh and it feels responsive it's got a good power a good um architecture that kind of underpins it and feels pretty solid there but crossovers are the thing man like when in, in 2015 the rav4 was um outsold by the Corolla. Um, the sedan, and that was the last time that happened that every year since the rav four was outselling everything it was it 's now the the brand 's most popular product. The corolla is kind of fading, not fading into obscurity or anything like that but people are forget, are, are less interested in that body style whether it 's a sedan or hatchback but, i mean a and lot they,
1: a lot of people don 't know this, but the uh the Canadian Prime minister is actually a crossover and we, we, we've we 've kept it <laughs> quiet. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's completely Canadian society is crossovers from the top down now.
0: Yes. There's there's a small,
1: small batch of hatchback holdouts, but, uh, yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, to me, I was, I was, I wasn't offended by it. Um, I I think it, it worked fine. I think I kind of like it more than the Kia Seltos. Um, is it more interesting or more fun to drive than say a Hyundai Kona? I don't think so. Those can be pretty punchy to drive they're they're really uh responsive they've got a nice tight powertrain and uh they're they're like agile but uh the the cross doesn't feel like that and uh it'll it'll appeal for somebody looking for basic transportation and there's like i don't know i think there's about six or more what's it called trim levels for them to choose from that start at twenty two thousand, which i think is pretty reasonable um for a crossover this is
1: kind of going up against the honda hrv right
0: Yep, it, is, I think it's more interesting than the HRV. Well, the HRV is
1: getting a complete redesign, I think, yes. for next year. It's about time. Yeah, oh, for sure.
0: But a uh, question for you, what about the Kicks? Is the Kicks too small to be compared to this? Yeah, so the Kicks um, doesn't have all-wheel drive, right? It's front-wheel drive only. So it kind of fits in this really weird spot that's, that's like, occupied by these subcompacts that are not all-wheel drive. So it's, like, the Venue, the Kicks, even the CHR. But the Kicks is super super cheap. And I, th- I found, and it's lightweight too. And I found that to be a lot of fun to drive back in the day. Okay. Well, anything else that you want us to, Steve, do you
1: have anything to chime in on this or are you just abstaining? Because I completely understand if you did.
2: <laughs> I pay attention to trucks. What can I say? I don't know anything about the crossroads. It sounds yeah. like a smart, move that they put the Corolla name on it. Let's say that everyone knows what a Corolla is. Nobody knew what a CHR was. That was the smartest move they could have done. Call it a Corolla. It's true. Everyone knows.
0: The next generation will probably be called the Rav Four Mini. Or, what? <laughs> I can't wait it, for the Corolla Camry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, isn't that what Toyota used to do with its nameplates? Wasn't the wasn't the Supra a Celica Supra? Yeah, Celica like Supra. Well,
1: because when you combine nameplates, they become more powerful. They absor- it's like eating someone's brain. <laughs> yeah. You absorb their knowledge, right? It's the same deal with nameplates.
0: Right. So we we have only we haven't had that happen very often yet in the in the in the Tota. Na- uh, name nomenclature. Yeah, it's going to be have... the
1: Corolla Camry TRD, and yeah. the rev Four Mini Tundra Prime. Edition.
0: <laughs> You're forgetting the poor Prime. Rev Four Mini version. Prime
1: Tundra Edition.
0: Yes, of course.
1: <laughs> Seventeen seventy whatever, or fourteen whatever. I I can't keep track of when that ranch was built.
0: Seventeen ninety one, wasn't it? I, I I'm surprised you know that, Sammy. It's the only thing I know. If it's right. So uh,
1: if you would like to know more things about our podcast, uh, including the date where we started, which is roughly five years ago now, you can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. The website has all of our past episodes. It has links for you to subscribe to us on pretty much any podcatcher you would care to use. We're on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, CastBox, all that fun stuff. Um, and you can also leave us feedback there. There is a contact form. You fill that out, you hit send and it ends up in our, in our inbox.
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, so you told them everything you need to know. Well, you I can didn't reach tell out them to about him.
1: social media, Sammy.
0: Yeah. You can reach out to us on social media. You love it when I tell people about social media, don't you? Yeah.
1: Social um, media, torso media, whatever media you want to use.
0: You want to reach out to us on social media. You'll find Ben on Instagram. He's at hunting Benjamin, sharing all of his great filtered photos it's well there's a filter on the photo the photos aren't filtered in some sort of weird way like anyways and you can find me on twitter i'm at some sammy underscore ha like you're laughing um steve they can find your work over there at youtube right
2: yes sir truck king on youtube come check us out
0: and any twitter profile or anything else you guys like to plug or you just stick to youtube and that's it
2: we're we're pretty uh, one-platform focused right now. You can find me on Twitter at SLmer07 if you want to
0: reach out. There you go. Very uh, cool. So, Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? Next week, I've got the Honda Civic Si to talk about.
1: Well, that's interesting because I am going to be talking about the Hyundai Veloster N, which is in some ways the Si's sworn enemy.
0: Yes, sworn enemy. I agree with you. I can't wait to talk to you about it then.
1: Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Steve, for taking the time to be with us today. Really appreciated it.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Always fun. And we can't wait to have you back.